welcome to the Sailorville podcast number. I'm not sure what it is, but uh, either way, uh, we're taking on a real simple subject today. We're talking about the doctrine, the biblical doctrine of election and predestination. Uh, easy. I mean, easy. And, it, and really, when you think about it, about guys. 20 minutes? Yeah, yeah 20 minutes. <laughs> 10 really do we even need to talk about it it's all clear in people's minds nobody has questions about this stuff anyway. we we should be able to nail this why would anybody go any further than this podcast that's what i was thinking <laughs> as i went into this okay actually we just prayed before this because it is such a deep one and uh, i'm sure that we won't answer half the questions that people have we'll try to answer a few and i've got a couple of uh the young bucks on staff here with me it's a joy to have uh john nemmers my son and our Director of Evangelism here at Sailorville. Uh, also, uh, well, you got some other things going on in your life, but we'll kind of hold off on that for right now, okay? Uh, well, that, <laughs> now we don't want you listening audience to think anything or read in, in, into anything on that. So stay on, t we'll try to stay on point. And the other young buck we have here is Andrew Bush. Andrew is our high school director, and uh, both these guys are a great addition to our staff. Uh, you both of you pretty much join almost all of our elder meetings, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah we both came the ones on we at get the same time. Out of, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the important ones. Yeah, we don't let you in on all of them. But, uh, <laughs> and it's interesting. I was thinking about. I am a graduate of Faith Baptist Bible College uh, in this area here, so I have some really good, strong Baptist theology in me. All of us really do, but. Uh, you know, Andrew, you're a graduate of the Master's College, uh, so you got a little John MacArthur in you. And uh, in fact, there's a you have a famous story. You were pretty you were pretty close to Johnny Mac at one time, weren't you? What, didn't uh, what, didn't uh, you give him something? And he gave oh, you something. John MacArthur and I are obviously very close personal friends, um, and you know that because once upon a time, John MacArthur handed me in person a Krispy Kreme donut. So you were given a Krispy Kreme donut personally by John McCarthy. Yes, original glazed, still warm. Did it have uh, the chocolate on top, or was it just no, a regular just original glaze? And did he choose to give that to you? He did. And did you receive it of your own free will? I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect segue. Perfect segue into this. And and John, uh, you are a graduate of Liberty University. Liberty University. So you got a little Jerry Falwell in you, huh? Yeah. Did yeah. he ever hand you a Krispy Kreme donut? Well, I think he was dead by the time that Whoops. I, uh, <laughs> I ever... <laughs> Jerry was with our Lord by that time. <laughs> oh, my oh, goodness. I can't... Okay, so we are Staying talking... on task. <laughs> so we just started a brand new study of Ephesians. We're titling it Unwrapping uh, God's Masterpiece, which really is the church, but in that first chapter, it's all about his great salvation and these just a plethora of great theological terms we're all we've got on the platform a box that says in christ because the, the the expression is used 27 times in the epistle and so we're seeing all these gifts coming out of that great gift of being in christ and if you're a christian you are in christ so uh and then on sunday right out of the shoot uh, paul says we're blessed he says we're chosen and that's the word we get our english word election from it and we're predestined and we're loved. We talked about those. Now, t for the sake of our podcast, we're talking about election and predestination. Of course, those terms are used almost synonymously. And even after this podcast, I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to go, yeah, they pretty much mean the same thing to me. But we are trying to see the biblical differentiation between those two terms. 
uh, that they're not, uh, you know, they're not something that doesn't have distinction. They're not distinctions without a difference, I guess. And um, uh, what do they mean? Uh, Because it does bring up tension between God's sovereign election and man's quote unquote free will. Does he have free will? That's a question I think we're going to get to here pretty soon. Does man have free will? Well, I got a question for you because we preach from time to time and obviously you're a much more seasoned, I'm not going to say elderly or old, but you're a very seasoned man. I'm probably into all those categories. So, (laughs) and therefore Uh, very salty from time to time. (laughs) (laughs) No. So I was wondering when it comes to like preaching on a topic that you knew was going to be extremely theologically heavy, but yet you've probably preached on something like predestination election before, I'm guessing, at some point in your life. So like, how do you go about preparing for something like that? Is it just a lot of refresh? Are you like reading, are you reading a book beforehand? Are you just, I mean, what's your process to go through deep topics like that? No, that's a great question. I can remember the first time I preached on it. First time I ever preached on a subject, I was in First Thessalonians because um, Paul refers to he says, knowing, beloved, your election of God. And then he, he says, because you, you, all these things, you have this work of faith and labor of love and all these kind of things. And, and these were the evidences to Paul that they were elect. And I was very young. I was actually your age. I was 28 or 29 at the time when I was preaching it and preached it with great fervency. In fact, my belief in the doctrine of election and predestination has really not essentially changed at all. Not even, I can't even think of too many nuances that have changed. And while you're not asking the question, this is not an area that I've struggled with. I, I get it. I know why people struggle. I just, I just haven't. I thank the Lord that I haven't. It just hasn't been something that's deeply troubled me over the years. And I'm thankful for my education. I'm thankful for, you know, my study of the scripture but, uh, you know, various things. I've read some of the great books, some of the great reformers, uh, the Puritans, all those that had very strong, that were steeply steeped in the doctrines of grace, which uh, have always been a comfort to me. You know, the, the, the idea that God is sovereign and as such is in control is very comforting to me. It always has been. It, it doesn't distress me uh, at all. In fact, it It even comforts me in regards to people who aren't saved and will never be saved. Mm. Uh, I just, that's not in my control. And I, I'm grateful for that. So to your question, I, you know, I'm a, I love good, strong commentaries. Uh, Obviously, uh, the actual language in the scripture is important. And um, so the grammar, uh, and all the studies around the text. I'm all about studies around the text. And then I like to go to some of the great men, theologians, both dead and alive, and uh, get their takes on it. And I'll listen to, I'll even listen to sermons. I'll try to get a contemporary sermon in there as well. I might listen to just to kind of see what some of the new nuances are that are out there. So, yeah. It's funny that you bring that up, John, because as younger teachers, you know, we don't usually jump into a message hoping to get to the topic of election and predestination because it's like that's one for the big leagues right but it's so much more commonly found in scripture than maybe you think it's kind of strange because it is this big question in a lot of people's minds but it pops up all over the place throughout scripture 
And so even in some of our studies that we've done different things, you know, I just preached in youth group this past week and it was there that the whole idea of being elect or chosen by God. What book it's, were you in? I was in first Peter and okay. we were looking at first Peter chapter one and it speaks oh, of yeah. salvation being something that uh, it says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth. And I went unpacked this whole idea that throughout the whole passage, there's never anything that refers to us doing any of the work. It's all God with the foundation of his mercy because of the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ gave us this gift of new birth. And so this whole idea of election and God giving us this gift and we only chose him because he first chose us was just littered throughout the passage that I was speaking. And I didn't walk into that hoping to go into a huge discourse on election and predestination, yeah. but it was there. And so mm-hmm. we have to get thrown into that. And it just, I think, think about that, Andrew, what you, you just said, and as Peter puts it, it's a gift. And Paul says it's a gift. Even in the book of Ephesians, it's called, re- repeatedly, salvation is called a gift. And a gift by definition is something that isn't deserved. You don't pay for a gift. Somebody gives you a gift, you don't yeah. say, what do I owe you for it? That, right. that doesn't even make sense. So it's very consistent, that is, uh, that God is the first cause, and we made a big deal of that in the message. He's the cause. He doesn't find cause in us to choose us from eternity past. Uh, just the opposite is true. Even though that's our experience, which we, it's, it's cause, there's cause in somebody that choose, we that we take them as our spouse or our, you know, our lover, as somebody that we, uh, we take in as an employee. There has to be cause. But just the opposite is true of God. And we saw that in various scripture from Deuteronomy, 1 Corinthians 1, Romans 9. But I, I have to, uh, as we continue to get into this, I, I remember hearing this a long time ago, the story of this guy who was uh, just kind of trying to figure out what he believed about God and salvation. He walked into a church. It was a Bible-believing church, and they're right in the middle of a split. In fact, they're at the apex of the split, whereas half the church had lined up on one side of the church, believing in the doctrine of the you know sovereignty of God and election, uh, and uh, that God chooses those who will be saved. And, uh, and on the other side of the church were those who took a strong view against that and that it was the free will of man that, you know, that a person is saved, you know, and he walked in uh, to the side where, um, you know, where, uh, you know, they took the strong view on God's sovereignty election. They said, how'd you get here? He goes, well, I came of my own, my own free will. <laughs> and they pushed him to the other side. And once he got to the other side, they said, how'd you get here? He goes, I was forced. And they kicked him out of the church. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not a real story, just uh, yes, 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 clear yes. that up. Yes, not, not okay. a real story. Actually happened to me before. No, uh, not true. Um, so um, there is, you know, uh, Calvinism is, uh, is a theological construct, a paradigm of thinking. And, and out of Cal, uh, Calvin's theology, others constructed the famous acronym TULIP. Uh, can you guys, I'm testing these guys. We didn't do this. Can you tell us? Oh boy. Can you give us the total depravity? depravity. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Unconditional election. Wait, total depravity. Mm-hmm. What else? 
Unconditional election. Unconditional election. Limited, oh, limited atonement. atonement. Limited atonement. Irresistible grace. Perseverance of per- the saints. All right. Very good, you guys. <sighs> and with this, this was good. We didn't even didn't even ask you about this. So those. So um, I love the tulip. I mean, I do. I love it, with the exception, as I mentioned on Sunday, of limited atonement. Uh, so you just we said total depravity means exactly that. There's nothing in us that. Uh, uh, there's nothing in us that would um, move us toward God or, you know, God toward us. There's nothing. We're dead. We're totally depraved, not in the sense that we're as sinful as we could be, but our DNA, right down to our DNA, is corrupt. And, there's uh, none righteous, not even not one. Not even one. There's yeah. the scripture right out of Romans 3. And then unconditional election. Now, that gets into this whole business of election. So unconditional, what does that mean? There's not a condition. Okay, so this gets no back cause. to no cause. Okay. So there's no cause. So God, it's not like God, like the Arminian would believe, which is the you know the opposite, the antithesis of Calvinism is the Arminian position, which would say that there was cause. God saw something in you, you know, in eternity past, and therefore picked you. But unconditional election, which is biblical, and Romans nine affirms that. Uh, and then limited atonement. Now that was a uh, that I, we took issue with limited atonement. So guys, do you take issue with limited atonement? Or are you okay with that term? I think that I have heard limited atonement explained in yep. different ways before, and so I didn't take any issue. I don't think with what you said on Sunday. Uh, I know my wife actually said I've heard limited atonement explained in a different way than what you described as being the thing that you disagreed with on Sunday. And so I think there can be some uh, confusion, some confusion, some, confusion, some yeah. yeah, different ways of looking at it where, whereby somebody might say they do believe in limited atonement and still agree with some of the things that you mentioned. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything to add. I have heard, uh, I can't remember where I was hearing this, because I'd have to actually go back and read Calvin's actual works in his Christian institutes. But uh, he, I, I've heard someone say that even Calvin's view on his actual view on limited atonement was closer to what you were referring to, but people see it as very sharp when he may have been using more hyperbole than anything. But yeah, I have no issue with what you're saying. I think the Bible makes it pretty clear that God loves the world and that Christ's death is sufficient to cover the sins of the entire world. Some people may say, well, Jesus only died for the elect. There's some sort of wiggle room, it seems like, where people say, okay, well, he died for the world, but it was only really efficacious or useful for the elect. And, you know, I can see that. Yeah, um, sufficient but. for all, efficacious for some. Yeah. Uh, uh, John MacArthur, uh, in fact, a friend of mine just uh, just shared this with me just before this podcast. Uh, Christ's death is unlimited in its sufficiency, but limited in its application, which is a good way of putting it for MacArthur. Okay, so so we're not uh, so uh, the. The theology of limited atonement. I took issue with the term. It fits an acronym, and I, my take is 
just because it fits an acronym doesn't mean it's good. I mean, because it has a negative connotation, you know, there, and, and, you know, and about a generation ago, someone came up with the, with the alternative. It doesn't fit the acronym, but particular redemption is the other one. I like that better because it's positive. And as I made the point in the message, when the word election is used, it's used in a positive way. It's not used in that limited Christ only died for, you know, those he would save or to put it differently, he didn't die for, uh, for, for many. I can't go there because I, you know, the Bible is John three sixteen is still in the Bible. I gave that uh, illustration of the rich young ruler. Did that resonate with either of you? Did you, did you ever see that before? Yeah, I had actually just read that in my Bible reading the day before, and and maybe whenever, tell our audience what I'm talking about because I didn't. Explain yeah, it. so there's this story uh, where a rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and he says what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And I mean, it's like the most underhanded softball evangelistic opportunity <laughs> that there is. And yet uh, by the looks of it, Jesus seems to blow it because he gives him the law and he tells him he needs to follow the law. Um, but uh, I think that's just because Jesus knew his heart way better than we can see other people's heart. And he knew what this guy was lacking and there was pride in his life. There was uh, certainly some covetousness. I believe you pointed that out on uh, Sunday. That's the one command that Jesus didn't point out because mm -hmm. he probably knew that was the one he was struggling with. And at the end of the day, the ruler uh, walks away and he's dismayed because Jesus tells him, what you need to do is sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the guy doesn't want to do it because he had many possessions and he had a lot of wealth. Uh, but the thing that you pointed out, which has always been the most impactful part of the whole story to me, is that before the guy walks away, it says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Yeah. And that's just so powerful to yeah. me, that idea that Jesus really cared about this person who would reject him. Yeah. And, and I, I, when I was reading that in my Bible reading, I remember thinking, like, I wonder if he ever figured it out, if that guy ever turned around. And we don't know. It never tells us. But Yeah, somebody could argue on the Calvinistic, on the ultra-Calvinistic uh, side of the fence. Well, because the word akapao is used, it's that ultimate unconditional love. So yeah. some would argue, oh, well, he must have come back because that's the word that's used. But we're not told that. Yeah. And uh, I so. was thinking of the book of Acts where the church is just getting started and people selling their possessions and helping one another. And I thought, wouldn't that be cool if he was amongst that group of people that was just giving freely uh, for the sake oh, of the gospel awesome. in the church? I'd love to see him up in heaven. That would be cool. That's good. Uh, now, we got some questions that have, you know, some of the questions that have, uh, that we have here that uh, just from the message and differentiating between election and predestination. Again, uh, those terms are kind of used synonymously in Scripture, and I guess when, this podcast isn't going to end all of that. Uh, so um, what did you guys get out of the differences between election and predestination? And I might elaborate as well. I've always, I've always understood it uh when it comes to predestination, it even has the word in it, what, predestined, it's your destiny, it's what God is predestining you to. Mm -hmm. uh, election, or choosing, as, as uh, is in the text right there, but it's interchangeable with election right there, is who is God electing, or who is God choosing. So the, the electing is the who, 
the predestining is the where. You're being predestined to a a new life in Christ, a future with your inheritance with Christ in heaven someday. That's what you're being predestined to. Um, but yeah, it's really, because you don't see that unless I'm forgetting other passages, but you don't see those side by side very often. Mm-hmm. Um, so with an obvious, it almost seemed it was obvious that Paul's trying to make a distinction here. He's trying to draw yeah. attention to a distinction. Yeah, I think there's no question he's drawing a distinction there. In my mind, there's no question. And again, I focused on the meaning of the word. I mean, the word cho- you're chosen in him before the foundation of the world, there's no question about the timing of it. The, the question is, what does it mean? Well, I don't think we ought to read into it. He chose, he elected. I mean, you know, if you think about it, uh, uh, election is a one-time decision uh, made by God in eternity past, right? And, uh, you know, unless you're from Chicago, you, uh, you only go to a voting booth once <laughs> and vote, right? I mean, that's, you only vote one time, you know, you're done, you know? And uh, whereas predestination, the word means to mark out beforehand. It even, the, the, the raw meaning of the word implies a destiny, a, a, a path. And I, I think in the message I said that the, 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 uh, the election is the, is the pick and, uh, you know, for the sake of alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> and the election is the pick and predestination is the path. Yeah. And, uh, of course, that's when, I, uh, you know, that's when I remember we said the path, whereas election is always positive, predestination, the, the use, even the use of the word predestination isn't always used positively. Mm. Uh, I use the example of Pontius Pilate and Herod and, and the Jewish leaders who crucified Jesus, it predestined, you know, from Acts chapter 4. And we have, I think, in our path, there's no question that God is sovereignly allows sorrows, hurts, terrible things to happen, even sins. Uh, he allows these things, and they're, they're predestined. And I mean, I know people don't, I mean, but it, it's true. It's the Bible teaches this. And, um, but at the end, he's going to be glorified. And, uh, and we come out because he's on the path with us. Remember, I kicked the, kicked the box off the. Yeah, platform. that was the real kicker, pardon <laughs> the pun, for me. Um, just that I think when I think of election and predestination, my mind just stays on that subject of salvation itself mm-hmm. and the fact that you broadened it to the path of our entire lives, even the trials, even the really challenging times, uh, that is the big takeaway for mm-hmm. me, I think. That was the challenge because I, to your, what going off what you said earlier, I'm not somebody who's really struggled with this idea of election in my life, but I think I maybe have struggled a bit more with the predestination of even sinful things in in my life. Like, how could God be associated with some Mm -hmm. of that stuff? Mm -hmm. So those were some of the big kind of questions that came into my mind through the whole message, and it was the real kind of challenging sort of big moment for me is kicking the box. Like, why would we want this? Why would I want to follow a God who is predestined all of this rough stuff that's going on in my life. So I got a side question. Well, I, in addition, I said it was, and we have to consider it a gift. Yeah. To know that God is walking with us through that whole thing, and then you got Genesis fifty verse twenty, 
which is we I didn't reference it, but that's the famous, you know, what you what yeah, evil. what what Joseph's brothers intended for evil, God intended for good. Now God didn't make them do the evil to Joseph, but he he predestinated it. Why? So that he could save an entire nation and make them uh <laughs> the people group, the bloodline that would bring Jesus about, right? Mm-hmm. And it's cool that you called it a gift because coincidentally, just last Wednesday, I called trials a gift in my message as well. And I said that it was one of the gifts that God gives us that draws us to worship him. And the, and the reason for that was because in the passage that I was going through in First Peter, it describes trials as being the thing, the, the crucible where our faith is tested and it comes out in First Peter 1, it says more valuable than gold. It's, it's more precious than gold that, you know, gold perishes even though it's refined by fire, but our faith is something that is beautiful to God. And um, I, I made the point, and I think it's important maybe even to repeat it in this context, is that sometimes we rightly say our salvation doesn't have anything to do with our good works. It doesn't have anything to do with our ability to be right before God in our own standing. But we can wrongly infer from that that our good works don't really mean that much to God. Mm. People say, well, our good works, they're like filthy rags. You know, they're quoting scripture there. But that's in the context of those, you know, filthy rags trying to be the thing that makes us right with God. And in 1 Peter, it talks about how those trials form a faith that is beautiful and precious to Mm -hmm. God. And so for that reason, trials are a gift. Going back to the sermon on Sunday, it's it's a gift because it produces in us something that God sees as beautiful. And I want to be a person that has a lot of beautiful things to offer and to show God when I stand before him one day. And speaking of which, not to cut you off, John, because I know you want to say something, but in Revelation 14 and verse 13, it says, Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. It says, Blessed are those Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from from now on. This is a tribulation context. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their works follow them. Hmm. That's pretty cool. We're not saved by works, but we're saved unto good works, And as Ephesians uh, 2.10 says. And uh, the ones, I guess the ones that are ultimately purified by God himself are the ones that uh, follow us into heaven. And it's ironic not ironic, but it's just, it's clearly throughout the entire Bible that it's just, it's always God doing the work, whether it's salvation, sanctification, your own good works. We were just talking about this verse in a different context over lunch today, Second Timothy 2, 21, where Paul's talking to Timothy and he goes, hey, cleanse yourself from anything dishonorable. And if you do, you'll be an honorable vessel set apart as holy, uh, a useful tool for the master. So there's the there's the imagery right there, a useful tool. You're just a tool. That means the master's doing the work. The next line is for every good work. Mm-hmm. So you're the tool and you're doing the good work as the tool, but it's the master who's actually accomplishing that good work, which is yeah. just, I think that's just a theme for the whole thing, uh, that God's doing the work through all this. That's really good. And maybe... Uh... I just thought of something that the Apostle Paul said, and perhaps he sums it up best when he says in 1 Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. But he doesn't put a period there. He says, though not I, but the grace of God that's in me. Mm. So I love that. That's really, really good. And I would just say as we uh, wrap up this podcast, uh, uh, just uh, something that came to my mind just before we came down here to talk about this. Uh, I had a professor. His name was Harry Gray. He's with the Lord now. He had uh, he was uh, he was a he had some Czech and he was he had some Czech Bohemian blood, which is what my wife has. So they had a great relationship before they'd met each other. It was just fun. He had a sweet sweet wife. Harry was my was my my systematic theology professor, and he was a lot of people considered Harry a little weak on the sovereignty of God. I never saw that. I just saw a very godly man. And but we had uh, we got into salvation and God's uh, just the track of salvation, what in the mind of God, how somebody comes to Christ and this and that. And we had a big old brouhaha in our class. I mean, guys were arguing with each other over election and free will and all of that. And by the way, on the business of free will, uh, I would I, I do want to say one thing, and that is. I was going to ask the question, do we have a free will? Okay. And uh, well, let me just, okay, before I tell the story about what Harry said, <laughs> <laughs> answer that question. I'm setting you guys up. This is, we didn't, we didn't oh, have any conversation. <laughs> do we have a free will? Uh, yes. We have the ability to choose whatever our nature allows us to choose. Okay. So, I mean, what, what I mean by that is within my own nature, I can choose to pick up this water bottle. Mm -hmm. What I can't choose is to be, you know, six foot three and being able to dunk. Trust me, I wish I could. Uh, can't do it. Um, it's not within my nature. I can't physically choose to do that. And so within our own nature as humans, from what I understand, we have a completely sinful nature. We are completely dead in our sins, Ephesians 2, which means that we are only capable to choose what spiritually dead people choose, which is a rejection of God. So do we have the ability to choose within our nature? Yes. Uh, outside of our nature, do we have the ability to choose God? No, we're not able to. Romans okay. 8. That's good theology, John. Um. If I'm a horse and you feed me oats every single day because you're a good master that's feeding your horse oats, and then one day because you're especially generous, you decide to feed me a... You give me a choice. I can either have the oats or I can have a perfectly seasoned, perfectly grilled filet mignon. Which one am I going to choose? I'm going to choose the oats because I'm a horse, right? <laughs> so that's what John's saying. You choose within your nature. I think people have this view of God and they think of election like God is so cruel because I can't choose him and everyone is, you know, wanting to get up and follow God, but because God hasn't chosen them, they're handcuffed and they're tied to this chair and they can't move and they're saying, God, I want to be saved, but you haven't elected yeah. me. Uh, when in reality... 
God invites all of us to choose to say, come follow me, and you are completely free to go do that. The problem is that we lock ourselves to that chair, and each one of us, left to our own free will, will always reject God. I was just hit by this the other day, just yesterday, thinking about Romans 9, we get the analogy of the clay, right? So what in Isaiah as well, so he's quoting Isaiah there. So what, you know, like Paul's saying right here, look, I mean, does the clay really have a right mm-hmm. to say to the potter, you know, why did you make me for this and that? And you just think about what is clay. Clay, if it's wet, you can mold it. And that's the imagery right there. God's molding some things for a beautiful creation. And what is the hardening of clay? What does the what does the potter have to do to get clay to harden? Nothing. It lets it be clay. Clay is clay. Clay will harden by itself. So I was just thinking about how much of an amazing analogy. Of course, the biblical analogies are always the best. Right. right. <laughs> God's own analogies, because that is what clay does. Clay hardens. So mm-hmm. leave it to itself. It will harden. That's exactly what that's what we see in Romans one. God gives them over, meaning okay, I'm going to give you what you want. If, it's, if you're going to have life, it's going to be me causing that life inside you. That's really good. Now, the analogies both of you used were really good, and, and, you, and you both used keywords like nature, because, our, because of our sinful nature and our need. So we talked about totally depraved, we're totally depraved. Because of that, there's nothing in us that would make those choices. Nothing in me as a horse to eat a filet mignon when you have oats. That's my nature. Uh, I can choose, as you pointed out, John, I can choose to jump off a building, but I can't choose to fly. It's not in my nature to be able to fly. Um, But God gives us new natures. He has to give us a new nature. And even the horses will never be found eating filet mignons. God could change their nature to do so. And I just thought of this because I just finished Isaiah the other day who talks about the new heavens and the new earth when before they call, I will answer. They will, uh, while they are still speaking, I will hear the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion, watch this, will eat straw like an ox. Well, lions don't eat straw. I mean, that's not what, I mean, but they're gonna eat straw, (laughs) God's going to change their nature. I'm just, I, I think this, I, I've never seen it until you guys gave those analogies. This is what God does when he saves us. He changes our nature. If anyone's in Christ, they're new creation. They're new creation. They've been given a new nature. And so now we do desire, we can choose God. I can choose to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because of God's first cause in my life. And I love, you guys have done a great job. And this, I've really been an honor to share this time with you. Harry Gray. See, I didn't forget about Harry. <laughs> My great Harry. professor who was, was not known to having a great theology of God's sovereignty. I, I don't know if that was true or not, but while we were arguing, it was, it was pitch battle. And, and actually, I was trying to be a peacemaker, as you can imagine, in this thing. <laughs> I, I was probably are. right in the middle of the fray, I'm certain. <laughs> of it. But he, he said, gentlemen, gentlemen. And he was a very soft-spoken man. And we all quieted down because we had great respect for him. And I remember, I remember him opening his Bible sitting at his desk. He said, gentlemen, it, no matter where you land on this subject, please, I beg of you, with reverence, preach this text. 
and then in the most reverential way I've ever heard to this day quoted, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's, and then he prayed and ended the class. And it was, there was a solemn atmosphere. The arguing ceased right there. And uh, I think that's a good place to be. And no matter where we land on it, I think, I think of what the apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.10. He said, he said, um, he said, he, he said, I, I, and therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they may obtain salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I love that passage because here's Paul saying, I'm, I'm busting my hiney. That's what he's saying, basically. For what? For people who God's chosen already, that they might be saved. Let's, let's not let this doctrine cause us to fall off the cliff. Forget our responsibility, as you pointed out, John, to serve the Lord Jesus, evangelize the lost, and uh, just preach the Great Commission. Amen? Amen. Amen.